0: Welcome to On The Other Side. Before we get into today's episode, a quick word from our sponsor, Forefront. Forefront is a community and media network for the explorers, builders, and artists at the frontier of collective creation on-chain. Forefront has an incredible newsletter that I cannot recommend enough. You can subscribe at forefront.market slash subscribe. You'll hear more about this later in the show, but for now, let's dive into this episode. I am here with Jesse Pollack, who is heading up all things base. Jesse, I'm so excited to have you on the pod.
1: Yeah, excited to be here. Happy Friday.
0: Happy Friday. You're in your Summer Friday shirt. We've got summer all the vibes. Summer Friday shirt. <laughs> Try it's on-chain summer. It's on-chain summer. Season.
1: It's on-chain summer. The crypto prices are going down. That doesn't stop us. You know, no. can't stop, won't stop. Bringing the whole world on-chain
0: it wouldn't be on-chain summer if crypto prices were up, frankly. Yeah, that's right, exactly. We're, we're kind of no, rolling no. with that.
1: <laughs> it's, uh, you know, the way crypto goes. Always something
0: 1,000%, yes. Um, well, I can't wait to talk about BASE, how you're thinking about consumer applications in crypto, all of the things. But before we do that, maybe you can give a little bit of context on you mm-hmm. and how you fell down the crypto rabbit hole.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I'm Jesse. I, uh, I've now been doing crypto things for more than a decade, which is freaking crazy. Honestly. Um, I, I grew up in DC, I went to Quaker school my whole life. That's a big part of who I am. Um, and, uh, then went to college outside LA at a little liberal arts school, uh, after getting rejected from all the engineering schools I applied to, cause I thought I wanted to be an engineer and then fate didn't want to do that. Um, I ended up becoming like computer science, doing computer science for a little while, but, went to Pomona, which is a liberal arts school. And one day I was out just sitting in the cafeteria and this guy sat down across from me in the lunchroom. This was like spring of my first year of college. So it was spring 2012. And he started talking to me about Bitcoin. I had never heard about it before. And I was like, Oh, this sounds really cool and interesting. Um, and I went and I bought my first Bitcoin. Um, and we, we, uh, We got to know each other that week he was like visiting coming through the the campus on the way up to the bay area where he was um negotiating to join coinbase as the first employee and so that was olaf carlson Wee, who you know now runs polychain and was at coinbase for six years but kind of serendipitously he brought me into crypto in 2012 like right as he was um, going to join coinbase and then Five years later, when we were winding down the company, I dropped out of school to start um, that had kind of worked with crypto companies and done identity stuff. Um, I reached back out to him and I was like, "Hey, we're looking for a soft landing," and that's what brought me to Coinbase. So it was, uh, yeah, it, journey started in 2012, but uh, really started in earnest working full time on crypto at the beginning of 2017 when I joined Coinbase.
0: Love that. And you worked on a bunch of different projects at Coinbase before Base. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you can touch on that a little bit and then also give give the origin story of base which I find really inspiring and interesting
1: yeah um, so when I joined coinbase in begin 2017 it was like probably like 70 people overall um, 20 25 engineers um, and I joined as an engineer I, you know I'd been running a little startup before with kind of five I guess it was like seven people um, doing a little bit of management kind of product design um, Uh, just startup stuff, Uh, but joined Coinbase as an engineer. And pretty quickly, they were like, we're going really fast. And you've managed some people before. So kind of take on some management stuff. And so I started working with the team that was building Coinbase.com. It was like four engineers. Um, And then the next kind of four and a half years were just Hyper-scaling. You know, the company grew from 70 people to 4,000 people, um, the teams that I was kind of working with grew from three people in one team to about 200 people and a bunch, a bunch, bunch of teams. Um, and my kind of responsibilities ended up by the end of it being uh, all of the consumer products on the engineering side. So Coinbase, Coinbase Pro, Coinbase Wallet, um, kind of building the full mobile web. Um, APIs, anything that was required to make those products work for everyday people. Um, And so that was the first four and a half years. (laughs) And then kind of beginning of 2021, I basically started feeling like I wanted to get closer to the metal of crypto, Um, like really get back into trying to solve some of the like infrastructure challenges and core challenges that I felt like were holding us back. and. At first, I thought I was going to leave Coinbase to go and do that. And I took a little bit of time off and did some exploration. Um, But then after a bunch of conversations with kind of the executive team at Coinbase and, um, you know, folks across the company, it felt like there was an opportunity to figure out like, okay, how do I do this work at Coinbase? And how do I help bring Coinbase into this next era of crypto? Um, And so in the fall of 2021, I can, you know, started what I can only describe as like a vision quest, which was like the, vi- <laughs> the vision is bring Coinbase on chain and bring a billion people on chain. And the quest is like going to be through the woods and over the mountains and through the river. And we have to figure out what that actually looks like. You embarked
0: um, on a hero's journey. of sorts. It was,
1: Yeah, it was just, you know, like to start, it was me and like one other person um, and Then it grew up, you know, more people joined and we tried a bunch of different things and none of those things really worked. Um, and every time we kind of got stuck in a similar place, which is like, okay, we want to like build this thing that we think will help bring Coinbase on chain, but like, where do we do it and how do we do it and how do we make it work at the scale that we're talking about with, you know, millions of users. And so after about a year of kind of visioning and questing and failing and, honestly struggling uh we actually like shrunk the team again uh, shrunk it from kind of like 15 people back down to four people and kind of had the conversation of like okay you've been visioning for a year like maybe it's time to stop visioning and start doing something else and start just contributing to business as usual and Kind of in that conversation and in the little gap that we had where it was like, okay, we're going to stop visioning and you're going to start finding some way to contribute business as usual. Me and a few people were like, what if we just give this one more shot? Um, And we launched an internal test net of a layer two uh, because that's what we'd wanted to build uh, after kind of seeing ourselves get stuck a few times. And that kind of caught the attention of a bunch of engineers at the company, um, and it really convinced us, oh, maybe there's something here. And then we did one last go and kind of brought it all the way through and said, let's, let's go do this. And then from there, it's kind of been off to the races. Uh, and that's, that's kind of the story of base. The story of base is like we tried for a long time to build a product that would bring Coinbase on chain. And what we found was the only way to build the products that would bring Coinbase on chain was to have a platform. That we could actually build those products on, and if we were going to build that platform for Coinbase, we might as well build it for the world. Uh, and that platform is based, you know, an open, decentralized, permissionless layer two that's built to scale the crypto economy and built to bring a million builders, a billion users on chain.
0: Yeah, I, I really love this notion of you know a sort of persistence in this story, um, and and of course in in the you know hero's journey. Arc, I think the the everything coming together at the last minute when you've kind of got no yeah. nothing to lose basically is is a, an exciting moment and turn. But I also kind of want to dive a little bit into this notion of wanting to bring Coinbase on chain. I feel like mm-hmm. it's easy for companies in crypto, particularly that are like you know centralized exchanges that have. Pretty clear business models. They're probably some of the the few companies in crypto with PMF. And um, deciding to move more on chain is this like very intentional and I think strategic move that, that Coinbase doesn't need to do, but instead is pushing forward. And so I'm curious what the impetus behind trying to get Coinbase mm-hmm. more on chain was.
1: Yeah, I, well, I mean, I think it depends how you define need. Like in the short term, you know, I agree our business has product market fit and it's growing and you know it's obviously a great business that's I think if you look at kind of what our vision has historically been and literally like you go back to Brian's writing in the end of 2016 when he wrote this Coinbase secret master plan um, where he was like, here's what the, the plan is. And it's like, we're going to build the protocols. Then we're going to build the uh, infrastructure like exchanges that let people use those protocols. And then we're going to build the consumer interfaces. And then we're going to have millions of dApps that billions of people use in the crypto economy. Like that's what he wrote in 2016. And I don't think like. A centralized exchange gets us there, right? The centralized exchange is kind of like step two. And we've been working to step three and step four of that or phase three and phase four of that for the last while, right? Like that's what Coinbase Wallet is. That's why we started building, you know, use cases like USDC. Um, uh, And I think the feeling for all of us has been like, we've are we been a little stalled out, right? Like we're 10 years in or whatever, 11 years in, 12 years in, I guess since Bitcoin, we're 14 years in. Um, And we don't have millions of dApps that billions of people use. Like we don't have tens of dApps that millions of people use, right? Right? (laughs) Like we got a long way to go. And so I think just from a pure mission perspective, it felt like it's like it, it this is our mandate right this is this this is a must um like if we weren't trying to figure out how to bring coinbase on chain and trying to figure out how to kind of pioneer that for ourselves so other people can help follow um then we wouldn't be working on our mission which is um you know creating that crypto economy creating that on-chain economy that um billions of people actually use uh, i think we would we would just be kind of stuck Um, and obviously there's great business in in the current land, but I think we, we want to do more than build a great business. We want to change the world. We want to bring everyone on chain and increase economic freedom globally and, um, you know, create the next generation of the internet.
0: Totally. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of the innovators dilemma stuff where it's like, how do you, how do you put yourself out of business in a way, which isn't to say that Coinbase is doing that, but, um, really like evolving to the next iteration of what this stuff looks like.
1: Yeah. And it's. I mean, yeah, this is the innovator. It it is, in many ways, the innovator's dilemma, and I think it's gonna, it's, it's gonna happen and be experienced by companies all around the world, who are gonna have to reckon with like, do we move on chain? And from, you know, from now working on this for two years at Coinbase, uh, it's really been two solid, two solid years. Um, It's, it's, it's really hard. (laughs) Like building on chain, uh, embracing like the new ways of working, the new ways that information flows and and value flows and data flows. And um, it's a massive, massive paradigm shift in the same way that the internet was a massive paradigm shift. And there's a lot of inertia that um, pulls to stay in the legacy world. Um, And even at the most crypto forward public company in the world, which I think Coinbase is, um, there's still so much inertia. And so I think it's going to be really interesting watching how other organizations navigate this um, and what kind of the example that Coinbase sets over the next year, like how that translates to other folks either being able to make that jump and cross that chasm and overcome the innovator's dilemma um, or getting stuck. And I, I don't know exactly how that's going to play out, but um it's it's not going to be a walk in the park for anyone it's a massive massive change in the technology infrastructure and in the culture um in the product strategy uh, and i think that that's going to require a lot of introspection at large organizations to figure out like what do uh, and how do we be successful in this next next generation of the internet
0: yeah totally this reminds me of of something that you mentioned on the overpriced jpegs podcast and and you you basically said the culture that is required for building a a large public successful corporation and the culture that is required for a chain is actually quite different. Mm -hmm. I'm curious how, I mean, maybe you can give a little bit of context on that and then also how you're navigating that.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's, well... I don't know if it's necessarily that they they have to be quite different. I think it's more like how the culture is created that is very different, right? Like if I think about the culture of a corporation, in in many ways it's it's like a it's, it's a top-down thing, right? Like it it flows from the leader of that organization and it flows through the leadership team, and there's all these things that are done to kind of like inculcate the culture and kind of align people to it and create it. And that's like, it's a superpower, I think, in many ways, if you can create a really like, clear culture that is um, uh, uh, like, well defined, that people understand that people opt into that people want to be a part of. And I think Brian's done a really incredible job of doing that at Coinbase. But I think like, when you're building a decentralized blockchain, like open network, um, what you one is you want kind of like bottoms up culture in many ways, right? You want people to feel like they can create culture independently. Uh, like they can create their own microcosms of what's going on and, and like who they want to be interacting with. And that is not the same. It's very different. And so I think the, the kind of balance is figuring out like, how do you come from that place of uh, kind of more top-down corporate corporate culture? And then how do you seed and create space for this more bottoms up decentralized culture? And um, I don't think we have like a perfect answer. Uh, No no way uh, do I feel like I'm I'm 100% certain. I think a lot of what we're trying to do is we're trying to A, be really explicit and, and clear about what our commitments are to decentralization right? Like we're building open source. We're working on public goods. Uh, We are doing these kind of technology decentralization kind of milestones that makes sure that folks can kind of trust the platform that they're building on. Because I think like having that clarity is really important for giving people confidence that they can even start building culture and start contributing to a culture. And then I think on, on the other side, what we're doing is we're trying to find leaders, in the, the world and the ecosystem who want to be creating the base culture, uh, and contributing to it and, and leading independently. And then we're trying to give them a platform. We're trying to give them resources. We're trying to give them, um, kind of everything that they need in order to make this thing their own, uh, and make, uh, their own mark on what base means for the next generation of builders who are going to come and join us. And a lot of those leaders are, um, starting inside of Coinbase, right? Like, you know, I, I, I jokingly often refer to the, the folks who've been working on base for the last two years as the first builders. Um, just because like, you know, they, they were the first people who, who have made base what it is today. And what I say to them is, you're the first builders and it's your job to welcome the next builders. You got to go find them. You got to go figure out who are the people who feel, who make you feel good, who make you feel excited, who make you feel like you want to, build more and create more and, and, and be creative. And, um, if each one of us finds one or two of those people who don't work at Coinbase, and then, uh, we collectively figure out how do we give those people a platform and how do we lift them up and how do we make them feel seen and heard and, um, give them the resources to actually build. Um, I feel pretty confident that something special is going to come from that. Um, and so that's, that's what I'm focused on. And it's still really early, right? Like, looking at the Yeah, we've, we've has been live for 10 days. Uh, but in those 10 days, you know, it's happening. There's the people, like, they're popping up, they're creating Twitter accounts and memes, and uh, they're building cool little projects, and they're dropping them. And um, I think that's that's been so inspiring and so heartwarming for me to see an experience. It's like two years of working on something and then feeling like, whoa, like now it's a little out of my hands. Like, of course, I'm gonna keep pushing and keep making all this happen. But um, there's also all these other people who are here to join the party and here to create and here to um, build this culture alongside us. And that's really special.
0: Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because. It's only been 10 days, and yet on-chain summer is such a strong meme at this point. And I do think you all have done a really good job elevating, you know, people building on base and um, really, like, taking those voices and making sure that they're heard. Do you kind of feel like your baby is, like, being pushed out of the nest in some ways? Mm. Like, I'd imagine working on something for two years, and then you're like, all right, it's kind of out of my hands. And and I'm sure that's exciting, but does that feel scary?
1: Yeah. Super scary. I mean, like... I mean, it was scary when it was in the nest. Because then it's like, is anyone going to... Like, does this thing have wings? Right. right. So, like, it was scary in the nest. Um, It's definitely scary out of the nest, too. Because... It's like what's going to happen, right? And there's a lot of things that have happened just in the last two weeks that like we didn't predict. We didn't didn't know these things were going to happen, and you know that introduces complexity, and you know has to figure out like, okay, how do we navigate it? How do we change our plans? Um, But I, yeah, I, I'd say like this. The scary thing is just like it's scary to build anything, it's scary to put put oneself out, out there, right? Like I, I feel like in, in many ways, this is like bearing my soul and bearing our soul of like, this is this thing we've been working on for two years and it's imperfect. And um, we want everyone else to come and work on it with us. And that's scary. Um, people starting to work on it, that's not scary. Like that just gives me, that gives me life. That makes me feel so warm inside and um, so grateful. Um, but it's scary thinking about the future and thinking about how do we, how do we accomplish this goal that we have set, which is bringing a billion users on chain. You know, I was like on Twitter yesterday and I was talking about that and someone tweeted me, they were like, why are you saying that? (laughs) Like, why are you saying that? Like, that's not true. And like, it's not true today, right? Like we can't, like, we're not going to bring a billion people today or tomorrow but like, we're going to do that. A billion people are going to go on chain like that. I feel 100% confidence that that's going to happen this decade. And I think it's scary to, to say that and scary to like set that goal for ourselves and push ourselves and be like, what do we need to do to make that happen? And not necessarily know the answer, know the path, but it feels like the right thing to do.
0: Yeah. And I think you had a, you had a really good point on a different podcast. I can't remember what it was, but you were kind of talking about how, yes, Coinbase's support in, in helping sort of like incubate base is, is helpful and powerful, but it's not going to bring everyone immediately onto base. Like we know that that's not the case. Um, and I think something that's really interesting about the way that you've approached this is—is is it feels like you're going very consumer-oriented and consumer-app-oriented mm-hmm. instead of going really deep on like the DeFi side or, or things like that. Um, and so, I'm curious from that perspective, what the thinking was there in terms of going really heavy on consumer. A lot of the projects that you guys have been elevating are are you know things like restaurant apps, like all mm-hmm. of these different things. And so, I'm curious what that has, what that decision looked like.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of where that came from and, and where it comes from uh, is a, two things. One, it's a belief that like the next billion people aren't going to just come on chain for finance, right? Like finance is a component of an economy, but um, for most everyday people, it's kind of an inaccessible component. And I think crypto has been this thing that has been kind of like very financialized and very speculative. And um, that has been kind of like scary and intimidating and alienating for a huge part of the world. And so I think a lot of the kind of thesis is the finance stuff will exist and it's important and we're going to support it and incubate it and make sure that there's a healthy financial ecosystem on base, but to really reach a billion people, like, we can't lead with that. We have to lead with things that actually make their lives better, that they get excited about, that they think are cool, right? That will make them download an app and scan a QR code and set up a wallet. And we think that that's, that's going to be consumer use cases. We think that that's going to be restaurants and food and music and games and art and media, um, And we think that those use cases are close, like they're almost there. Uh, The infrastructure has gotten good enough from a cost perspective, from a wallet perspective, from an identity perspective, that these things are now within striking distance. And I think a lot of our kind of bet is like, we can help close that final gap by thinking about what's the end-to-end experience, making that really easy for everyday people. Um, and lifting up these applications and putting them in the hands of of those folks and being like, this is cool, try it. Uh, And that if we do that, we're going to be able to kind of unwind a lot of the fear and kind of perception of crypto as this financialized thing and show people that it's not just that. Like, It's the next generation of the internet. And it's the next generation of the internet that's just better. Because for the first time, when you come into this next generation of the internet and you put your creativity, you put your work, you put your whatever, it's still yours. It's not Facebook's, it's not Twitter's, it's not TikTok's, it's yours. And when you take your creativity and you put it on chain and it stays yours, magical things happen and, and people's lives get better. And, you know, we we every day, every day in August, I, I signed us up for this, but every day in August. Every day in August, I do this live stream where I I get to talk to someone from, uh, you know, one of the people who are working with about their experience of kind of building on chain or creating on chain. And I think particularly when talking to artists, but this is pretty consistent across the board, we'll be talking and someone will say something like coming on chain or moving on chain changed my life. And... It's true. I mean, it it changed my life. And I think when you talk to a lot of people who are here, you'll hear the same thing. Like they didn't have a platform before and then they came on chain and now they have a platform. They weren't making money from their music before. Now they came on chain, now they're making money from their music, right? Like they they couldn't access these things and then they came on chain, now they can. And I wanna get that, I wanna get everyone to have that experience.
0: take a quick break for a word from our sponsor, Forefront. Forefront launched in 2020 and holds a very special place in my heart as the first DAO that I ever contributed to. Since then, Forefront has become a steward of the crypto ecosystem, empowering Web3 explorers to create and participate at the frontier of collective creation on-chain. I subscribe to very few newsletters and Forefront is one of them because they just put out a ton of amazing content. They have essays, they have research reports, and they even do conversations with founders, but they're also incredible curators. Their newsletter is truly the best pulse on what's happening on the culture and creator side of crypto. And I actually use it to source guests often. Um, For those of you that might remember, I had Light, who's a crypto artist on the show a few episodes ago to talk about hypercultures. And that was actually an article that I originally found in the Forefront newsletter. So if you want to keep your finger on the pulse of these things, I cannot recommend the Forefront newsletter enough. You can subscribe at forefront.market slash subscribe. Seriously, you will not regret it. All right, let's hop back into the show. Yeah, it is kind of interesting. I, I do think that everyone has a story about how being on chain has changed their life in some way. Anyone who's deep enough in crypto anyway, because you're, you know, you're, you clearly care about the space if you're working in it. Um, I'm curious, like, what was your moment of being like, holy shit, being on chain changed my life? I mean, you have, mm-hmm. you know, joining Coinbase and, and kind of what you walked through. But for you personally, what is what comes to mind?
1: Well, I mean, like, I think, I mean, joining Coinbase changed my life for sure. But right, I joined, I joined Coinbase, like, I had no idea what I was doing. Like, <laughs> right? Like, I joined Coinbase, I think I was, how old was I when I joined Coinbase? I joined Coinbase when I was twenty, twenty-three. You know, I, yeah. I dropped out of school, started a company. Um, and like, you know, made a ton of mistakes when we started that company and, joining uh, Coinbase and getting to experience four and a half years of building teams and being a manager and a leader and all, all of that. Like that, that changed my life, right? Completely changed the trajectory of my life. Um, so I'd say that, I mean, that was, that was the big inflection point for me. I'm trying to think of other inflection points that are like more recent. I mean, I think like working on Ethereum over the last two and a half years has really changed my life in a meaningful way. Like we started working on Ethereum before we were working on base. We started working on Ethereum to um, to scale Ethereum, like with 4844, really at the beginning of 2022. Um, and so this is when we were trying to figure out, like, what's the product going to be for Coinbase? But we kind of identified, oh, like, we want to build on Ethereum. Ethereum needs to scale. Like, let's go work on this. And I think like getting to be a part of the core development process that happened on Ethereum and see, whoa, like this is not like the others, right? Like this is not like working at Coinbase. This is not like working at the startup I founded. This is like a fundamentally different thing. And it is enabling a like fundamentally transformative platform that's going to change the entire world. And it's being done in like a positive, some collaborative way that of course has tension and conflict, but also is just like, unlike anything I've ever seen before that definitely like lit up something in me where it was like, Oh, like I, I want to do this like all the time. (laughs) <laughs> and that led to, you know, the collaboration with optimism and this concept of the super chain and the super team and super dream, like this whole belief that like, there's a better way of being and, and there's a better way of all of us creating. And it is a positive, some public goods oriented um, thing like that. That changed my life. What about yeah. you? Hmm. How long change change? How long change change your life?
0: I think there are definitely a few moments. One of them is like one of them was the moment where I learned about blockchain in general. And I was like, oh, yeah, yes. Mm -hmm. Mostly because I just like hated the Internet for a while, Mm. which was such a bummer. Mm -hmm. Like I was very resentful of the Internet because I grew up with it and because I felt like after like, you know, certain things like the 2016 election, there were just certain things that made me go wow, there are like fundamental structural issues with the internet and mm-hmm. the way that incentives are aligned and the way that users have to engage with these platforms creates really suboptimal outcomes. And so I think learning about crypto in general and this idea of like, to your point, owning your, I mean, owning your data is such a, uh, it's not a compelling way to yeah, to, just to say that. <laughs> it doesn't really hit the soul right. doesn't but, hit but, it. <laughs> But fundamentally, like this idea of of having control and having the ability to make certain types of decisions um, felt really powerful. And then, yeah, I think after that, there were just these like incremental moments of getting more and more excited about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, also moments where I'm like, is any of this going to work? And then I build conviction again that it's going to work. Um, So yeah, I, I think for me, it's been lots of little moments that that are kind of like, holy shit, excitement moments and then trying to grab myself back in reality again. Yeah. Um, but you you mentioned the, the evolution of, you know, getting into this like super chain concept and all of that. What the hell is the super chain as just a side note?
1: <laughs> yeah. What the hell is the super chain? Um, I think the super chain is basically the thesis that there's going to be many layer twos that scale ethereum and over time they're going to come together to form one unified chain that basically like sits on top of ethereum and is a a unified layer two that for the everyday person they don't even perceive um and it's in many ways the original scaling vision of ethereum like if you think about where ethereum started from a scaling perspective it was like we're going to shard ethereum we're going to break it up into a bunch of little chunks and that's going to give us more throughput um, but that's like the top down version. It's like Ethereum does it. And instead, I think what, what, what we're, we're basically saying is like, oh no, actually what we're going to do is we're going to start bottoms up and we're going to build a bunch of layer twos that share a common technology, uh, share a common value set and share a set of commitments around interoperability. And then those things are going to gradually come together to be more tightly integrated until they are imperceptibly connected. Uh, or they're they're connect they're so connected that they're imperceptibly apart from for the everyday person, and um, yeah, base is is a part of that vision, working alongside optimism and Op Mainnet and other folks like Zora and the Public Goods Network. Uh, and it's still really early; like the technology is um, still has a lot more work to do. But I think that there's like a there's a, there's a commitment to it that's very strong. Uh, from the base team and from the optimism team and from other teams um, that I think is probably more important than the technology. I mean, not more important, right? Like the technology is really important and it's coming along, but the act of saying like we're in to do this, we're in to think that there's a positive sum way of connecting these things where there will be competitive dynamics in the short term always but in the medium to long term, like we're gonna be one, uh, and we're gonna inextricably link ourselves together. That's that's the super team. That's the super chain. And then there's the meme that I, I, I think I, I think I think I think I invented. I don't know. But so like one super team, one super dream, building the super chain. Um, which for me is just like there's all these people all around the world. kind of like Ethereum. I mean, a lot like Ethereum who are working on the OP stack, working on these individual chains, working on growing it all. And um, they all share some set of values, some belief system, some um, level of optimism about the future. And that's the super team. And we all share a dream, which is creating this crazy piece of technology that lets Ethereum scale and lets it reach billions of people because we can't reach billions of people today.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, On that note, I I do think something that's kind of an interesting dynamic of this like super team, super chain stuff is that uh, because base is built in the way that it is, it actually inherits some of optimism's governance, which is a really interesting Mm -hmm. model. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll be talking more about that next week uh, in like a, a much more detailed way. Yeah. I mean, when we were starting to build base and starting to reckon with kind of like, how do we build an open decentralized network out of a centralized public company? um, I think one of the things that we identified pretty early on was that we, we needed a partner in doing that. Like we couldn't do it ourselves because we had to kind of take incremental progressive steps towards being fully decentralized. And so um, we spent a lot of time, you know, kind of figuring out who do we want to partner with and work with. And, um, kind of after a bunch of process, we, we came out the other side with optimism and, um, launched the test net of base and then figured out how do we launch the main net of base and what is kind of what we would consider the minimum level of decentralization or like the minimum sufficient decentralization for us to feel comfortable and to feel like we could really stand behind base being open and permissionless, uh, even as Coinbase played a major role in operating the network. And where we came out the other side was um, for a kind of core set of controls, like the ability to upgrade contracts, like the ability to kind of uh, validate output proposals or challenge output proposals, which is like what connects the L1 and L2 from a withdrawal and deposit perspective. We couldn't have Coinbase be a single... Point of control that would have kind of a unilateral ability to upgrade everything or a unilateral ability to, you know, submit an invalid output proposal. And so we designed the network and designed the 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 kind of uh, key management systems of the network such that we weren't. A single point of control and and such that we actually share that control to start with optimism and optimism governance and optimism foundation. Um, and over time, we'll kind of increasingly cede more of that control to an increasingly decentralized set of folks. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it's a, I think, very valuable role that optimism is playing for us, which is that they're kind of getting us started from a decentralization perspective. And That requires, you know, in many ways, like a a leap of faith, right? Like this is the thing about decentralization. Like you, you, you can't both have full like decentralization and maintain control. And for a centralized company, I think that that's a really scary, hard thing, um, But we've worked really hard over the last nine months to figure out how to do that in a way that um, feels aligned to our values and feels aligned to kind of our our overall goals as a a business and um, feels like there's a path to getting to a really incredible outcome for everyone. And, you know, I think you see that hard work reflected in, um, you'll see it reflected in the the kind of way we set up the network, which we'll be talking more about next week. Um, You also see it reflected in this document called The Law of Chains. I don't know if you've seen that, but um, that is... It's a serious document that I think uh, we we just released the kind of v zero point one of for feedback um, and kind of community engagement, but that was that was nine months of work basically, like trying to figure out how do we how do we define this relationship between kind of a chain like base and a governance system like Optimism that is providing decentralization, that's providing kind of some set set of technical services that's creating this interoperability between these other chains. Um, And how do we do that in such a way that um, we kind of balance the need to be uh, deeply interconnected to that um, with also the need to retain sovereignty and autonomy at the chain level. Um, And if you look at if you look at that document, I think what you'll see is that you'll there's a lot of, um, yeah, we draw on a lot of like historical precedent from like federalism, basically, where it's like, how do you kind of balance this kind of power between a national or like, you know, a unifying body and independent components that need to be autonomous.
0: Yeah, totally. But it, it's such an interesting, uh, I, I love whenever crypto ends up crossing over into like political theory because things just get so interesting so quickly. I do think something that that feels uniquely exciting about some of these things is like in the, in the dynamic in political systems, it's very challenging to just like plug into a decentralized decision making mm-hmm. body. You can't just be like, you know what? I'm starting a new nation, but I think I'm just going to use the U.S.'s governance. I mean- Right. Certainly the other side has happened with colonialism, but like that on the flip side is, is not really happening. And so um, it, it feels like a uniquely exciting opportunity here that that base is very much taking advantage of is saying, OK, we don't want to be the centralized party controlling everything. But you know what? We can kind of plug into another existing system where they've done a ton of work to decentralize. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there, there's kind of an interesting dynamic there between looking back for um, you know, evidence of what might work and playing around with political theory, and also recognizing like, hmm, maybe there are new paradigms here that, that mm-hmm. just weren't possible before.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been, I don't know, it, it's really felt, It's it's been some of the most meaningful work I've ever done in my career. Like, and we don't, like, I said, like I said, V0.1, right? Like, I don't think we have the answers, but I feel like we've given it a, we've had a lot of really smart people give it a really, good thorough think for the last nine months and be like okay like how do we do this right um or as right as we we can and um and now we're opening it up to a lot more people they give their feedback and input and um help us make it even more right and i don't think it's perfect but i'm pretty proud i'm pretty proud of kind of like where we've where we've gotten to and and the. Yeah, the path that we're starting to define um, for exactly kind of what you described, which is figuring out how do we we make this possible for more people, right? Like, how do we make it so base is not an anomaly? Uh, And it doesn't require nine months of protracted figuring out, you know, that we had to do to get us there. But instead, like the next big public company that wants to do this, they can be like, oh, here's what we do. And like, here's the playbook. And there's the precedent. Um, That's the goal. It's like repeatable innovation, repeatable transformation of organizations and and of the world to move from this online world to the on-chain world uh, and do it in a way that protects and preserves the open permissionless platform that is Ethereum that we are contributing to and helping scale.
0: Totally. Yeah, I think some of the the power in a lot of this stuff as well is like giving individuals the choice. And, and of course, when you get into any level of political theory, too, you start to to kind of have to figure out, like, where do the constituents fit into this stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where like we've kind of seen in in crypto governance, it's pretty hard to get average users who aren't like deeply involved in or have some stake in the success of a protocol involved in governance Mm -hmm. of course i think if if base succeeds then that means that there are billions of people on chain using Mm -hmm. base Um, I'd imagine there aren't going to be billions of people explicitly governing. Of course, chain governance is different from application and protocol Mm -hmm. governance. But I am curious how you think about like this intersection of sort of consumer crypto, empowering people to be owners, all of Mm -hmm. that stuff with this like, perhaps everyone voting on everything doesn't make sense. And governance has high overhead and, you know, all of those concerns.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, this was this was a big part of our conversation as we were working through the law of chains and working through all these things. And I think where we kind of netted out, and this is reflected in the document, is the single most important thing that kind of sits above all else is the like protections that we must put in place for everyday people. Like There's a set of guarantees that we have to offer everyone that cannot be violated. And those like can't be dependent on people showing up. To vote, you know, or showing up to govern, those just have to be. And it, again, going back to like the history, like Bill of Rights, like the Constitution, right? Like there's fundamental rights that are conferred when you are a citizen in the United States or not a citizen you've, when you're just here, um, and those are not things that you need to go and vote on every year to protect. Those are those just are, and I think there's 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 an intent um, and. You know this is encoded in the, the work that we've done to to create something similar where it's just like there's a foundational set of protections that um uh will always be there and cannot be changed uh and uh are not at the whims of voters uh, and do not require people to show up and so i think that was the starting point just like let's make it really clear for all of us that we're gonna have a bunch of different constituents and there's going to be the Optimism governance. There's going to be these chain governors. There's going to be these chain operators. But the most important constituent constituent is the people, and above everything else, we have to protect them and give them the the fundamental kind of confidence and and platform that we think is necessary. So I think that was the starting point. I think in terms of just like governance, period. I definitely don't think we want everyone voting on everything and I think we also don't want like plutocracy like we've had in kind of crypto with token based voting for a long time. Um, I think one of the things that's really powerful about crypto generally is um, for the first time we can design governance systems with software, which opens up a whole new solution space for building new kinds of governance that. Um, you know, I think will lead to better outcomes and better decision-making than governance systems that we've had for the last 100, 200, 500 years. Um, and like, I, I don't think it's, I, I don't, for me, that's not a leap of faith. Like that just seems like a fact, right? Like if you look at the cost of uh, what it would take to kind of like solicit input from people pre-software, it's like, well, you need to run an election. And like elections are expensive and they're slow and they take a lot of time versus if you look at the like speed at which we're able to do governance now in crypto it's like is it perfect no but like we can get cryptographic proof that x percentage of people felt y way about z decision in days you know or hours with no overhead and I think that that efficiency in terms of kind of gathering input and then the flexibility that we're going to get from software systems in terms of figuring out how do we combine that input in novel ways to create better decisions, um, I think that's going to open up a whole world of better decision making and governance um, than what we've had. and. Like, this is another thing that I think you know was one of the reasons why we were really drawn to work with optimism is if you look at optimism's track record on this, it's like they're, they're leading the way, right? Mm-hmm. Like the whole idea that they have of, we're going to have a token house and we're going to have a citizen's house. And these things are going to have different responsibilities and they're going to overlap in certain ones. And we're going to gradually kind of evolve and experiment with that. Like, I don't, I don't know whether they have the division, right. I don't know if they have the structure, right. Like, who knows, but that intent of like, we're not going to just do the thing that has been done, but instead we're going to say, this is like the most important thing, figuring out how to make these systems work in a way that accurately kind of represents the will of people and the will of um, a community and society in terms of what is going to be best. That. I think that that's really important. I think we're at day one, day zero, right, in terms of making those systems effective. But I think we're going to build some really cool stuff uh, that is much more effective than anything we've ever seen in kind of human history.
0: Yeah, I'm very uh, bullish on what crypto will do for governance more broadly. Mm-hmm. Um, before we wrap up on that note, I've been thinking a lot about kind of like two types of governance. Mm-hmm. One is much more active, intentional and thoughtful, which I think we've seen thus far. I mean, I don't know if you want to call existing governance thoughtful across a lot of protocols, but like we've certainly seen, you know, some explicit planning, explicit uh participation and engagement in decisions, whether that's because you're a token holder or not is kind of in the whole plutocracy problem is is a different thing, but it's active participation. Um I'm wondering if there's kind of this other form of governance, which feels more passive, which is basically mm-hmm. like, you know, how long you spend watching a TikTok is a form of governance, liking mm-hmm. a tweet or retweeting a tweet is a form of governance. Um, and, and that also feels like an interesting, I don't know if I want to call it an innovation, but certainly a new dynamic that wasn't quite possible before. Um, I'm curious if you have like a gut reaction on what some of these consumer applications will use for governance? Like, do you think some of this stuff will be more explicit? Do you think that the more passive governance is something that might happen? Is there a third kind of governance that that you you think might sort of win mm-hmm. out in terms of just, you know, consumer applications where it's like, hmm, getting people to vote in an election is hard. People probably don't want to vote on random TikTok monetization strategies. Um, and so yeah. how do we get people to participate as owners, you know, without requiring a ton of overhead?
1: Oof. I don't know if I have the the answer to that one. Um,
0: Or initial thoughts or gut reactions on like what you think might happen.
1: I, I, I think. Hmm. I think the thing that it, that immediately came to my mind when you started talking about this and describing this is like, optimism's retroactive public goods funding model where it's like trying to basically figure out how do we measure impact and then reward that Mm. and i think like some of the signals that you described like you know like liking something or like engaging something like those are all from my perspective like inputs for measuring or inputs that can allow you to better measure impact right it's like how, much, how many people minted your song? Or like th- those are all ways of basically conveying that there's value to the thing that, that you created. And so I think my first reaction is like the work is going to be figuring out how do we effectively measure impact and how do we effectively measure like positive contribution from people to a consumer product or to an ecosystem. Um, and then if we can do that, Then I think we kind of open up the aperture of like, how do we reward those people? How do we elevate those people? How do we give the right people a voice? Because if, you know, instead of saying, hey, we need to go and like, you know, poll everyone on what we think, what they think we should do. It's like, oh no, like we can just look at the people who have made the most impact over the last while and we can both reward them, but then we can also use that reward as an incentive for them to help shape the next wave of value or, or whatever it is. I think that that's going to open up a lot of opportunity. Um, yeah, but I think that that's very hard. Like, I I got to participate in the last round of retroactive public goods funding as like a citizen or whatever, and you know we had to look at like four hundred things and decide how much of like you know one hundred percent would we allocate to each one and like. <laughs> that was, you know, I sat down for a whole day Saturday and I like went and read through everything. And like, I tried to come up with a framework where it was like, Oh, like it was this like a large, medium, small impact. Like how much context do I have? Like, do I have high conviction, low conviction? Um, and I, like, you know, I came out the other side with a distribution that I was like, Oh, this, this feels like I, I feel like at least it is reasoned and principled, um, if not accurate, uh, but like that, it feels like a, a very rough approximation. Um, and so I think that this work is the work that we have to do. We have to figure out, okay, we're, we're starting to have all of this signal on chain. And now we're starting to be able to build systems that can use that signal. how do we build good systems that reward totally. the right things?
0: yeah I mean, ultimately I, I really like that framing for how we think about this stuff because ultimately what you what you want to do is optimize for positive impact in most of these mm-hmm. systems. and so I, I like the framing of impact because it feels like in some ways it simplifies what we're trying to sort of capture and how we leverage that. So I think mm-hmm. that's a really good way to think about it. yeah um Jesse, this was such a wonderful conversation. Where can people learn more about you? follow all the incredible things happening on base and on on chain summer?
1: Yeah. Uh, me you you can find me on twitter farcaster lens jesse pollock j-e-s-s-e-p-o-l-l-a-k find base build on base on twitter i think just base on lens and farcaster Uh, onchain summer you can go to onchainsummer.xyz there's one cool thing to do on chain every day Uh, today we have a bunch of cool music coming from showtime which i'm really fired up about Uh, and then there's a bunch of other stuff that you know isn't curated that folks are just doing on chain this summer so if you uh have been curious about getting on chain although if you're listening to this podcast you're probably already on chain but <laughs> my message would be get on chain this summer uh and come and join us in this new era of the internet that's um gonna change the world thanks for having me chase super grateful
0: love it thanks so much for me on the pod this was so fun